your beautiful faces this morning. Good to have those of you who are online with us today. I'm so grateful that we have this technology that we can, we can meet. I know we have some of you who are joining us probably from Colorado and Omaha and we have people down in Florida as well as all the way out in California. We're kind of spread all over the nation and yet we're able to kind of still do this together. And so I know some of you are joining us there. Some of you are probably snowed in. And so we're grateful that you can join with us this morning and uh, worship with us online. And uh, I'd like to encourage you to turn on your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2 this morning. We're going to start there and then jump over to some of John's other works. But um, happy 2022. Uh, what a way to start the year. Uh, and I'm, what a beautiful opportunity for us to worship our God together. So let's go to our God and, and just uh, let's pray and ask Him to teach us this morning. Because it's His Word. And it is His Spirit who fills us and who enlightens us so that our minds can understand these things and that we can apply this to our, our hearts. And so please join me in prayer. Our God in heaven, we, we are so grateful for another year of life. Another day that we woke up and our hearts were still beating. Our, our lungs were still, were still breathing air. And, and we're here and we're online and uh, we're wherever you have us right now. And it's an opportunity for us to worship you. And we're just so grateful. We're grateful for life. We're grateful for Your Son who died on the cross for our sins. We're grateful that, that He gave us eternal life. And that through faith, by Your grace, in, in Christ alone, we have this wonderful gift. And now we come to Your Word. And as we start this new year together, and as we contemplate what, what's ahead of us, I, I just pray that you, would, that you would help us to understand what You have in Your Word. Help us to grasp the concepts. Help us to understand the words. But more than that, I pray that our, our hearts would be softened by Your Spirit. And that we would take these things and that we would live it out and that we would be changed and that we would look like Jesus more and more as we encounter You in this beautiful book that we call the Bible. Your Word. So please teach us, we pray. Amen. You know, I was, I was contemplating 2022. As last year came to a close, like many of you, I was considering, you know, what is... What is 2022 going to look like? And, and I've set some New Year's resolutions that hopefully will result in better relationships, better health, better time spent. But as we set goals for each year for, uh, or for a new season or any time we do, we don't have to wait for January 1st to set New Year's resolutions or new resolutions. At the top of those resolutions at any time ought to be an evaluation of, of my relationship with Jesus Christ that I would evaluate my relationship with the Lord and I would evaluate how do I intend to grow in my walk with Him. And so as I was considering this, I, I resolved that my, my number one goal for 2022 is to know and love Jesus more with more depth and profundity and passion. A, a simple, heartfelt love for my Savior. A, a complex depth that swallows me in His infinite greatness and goodness and beauty, and knowledge that's sustained by the delight of His self-revelation as He's revealed Himself to us. I, I, I want to know Him. I, I want my relationship with Him to abound. I, I, I want to love Him as, I, as I've never loved Him before. Yesterday I was reading through the first couple chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and I was struck by the way that Jesus related with people. Uh, just the compassion He showed for those who came to Him in faith. Those that were, were struggling through life. Those who, 
who knew that they, they were in need of something that, that they couldn't supply themselves, but only He could give them. And, and just the compassion and the love that He showed for them. And, and then those who rejected Him, the, still the love He showed them, but the, the consequences of that. And before Jesus began His ministry, John the Baptist was preparing the way in the wilderness. Uh, you know the account of people coming to the, to the River Jordan and they were being baptized. And, and, and as I was reading through this, John makes this comment. And he says, I've, I've baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot to unpack in that passage, but, but one of the simplest aspects of that statement that just stuck out to me as I was reading through God's Word was that with Jesus, John was saying, Thing, things are going to change. It's going to be a lot different when Jesus comes. And people were excited for it. And I thought about how excited people were to, to come all the way from different regions, different countries, just to come and see John and the work that he was doing and to participate in this ministry and to be baptized by him. And they came to that muddy water in the Jordan. That people came from several days' journey and they were baptized by Him. What an experience that would have been. What, a, what a anticipation they had. What joy. What incredible repentance. And what delight to be a part of this event as they participated in this ministry of the prophet who was preparing the way for Jesus. But it was water. It was simple water. And, and, and John says to them, he says, you look, when Jesus comes, it's, going to be, it's not going to be just water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And when, when Jesus began the church, He baptized us with the Spirit. And, and how glorious is it that, that we have been called, that you and I have been called to be in a relationship with Him. We don't have to go several days' journey to see John the Baptist and what he's preaching. We have Him in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit with us. And I'm mindful of people around the world who just long to have this relationship and to cultivate this relationship and to gather with God's people. And they have such a desire to worship Jesus with other believers all around the world that they'll rise at 3 o'clock in the morning in some countries. And they'll walk four or five hours just to go to church just because they want to worship Jesus with others that are doing the same. They have no car. They sometimes have no freedoms. But they get to be a part of this family that we've been baptized into called the church. And they are excited about worshiping Jesus. There are Christians here in the United States that claim they just don't even have enough time to spend with Jesus in the day. I'll spend two hours watching TikTok videos or scrolling through social media, but listening to the voice of God and learning to love Jesus, just, it just takes too much time. And how many excuses do we need to avoid growing in this relationship with Him? There are people who risk death and taking a bullet just because they love Jesus. But there's so many traps in this life that sometimes we stumble over just to avoid spending time before the throne of God that God has given us access to because Jesus is my high priest and He's made a way for me to come directly before my Father in heaven. I don't want to be like that. I, I don't want to be a person who, who drudges through my Bible study. I don't want to be that person that... that says, oh, I guess it's time to pray. 
I guess it's time to go to church. I guess it's time to study the Word. I guess it's time to... I don't want to be a Christian who's used to Jesus. I don't want to take Him for granted. There's this amazing passage in Revelation chapter 2 in which Jesus writes a letter to the church of Ephesus. And I mean, this is the church of Ephesus. Do you know the things that happened in Ephesus? You know, this, is, this is where they, you know, the people came together. I think this, Ephesus is where they all came and they said, you know what? Jesus has changed our lives so much. Here's all these magic scrolls we collected and they, they have this, this bonfire. They burn all these incantations that they, they, had, they had collected. And it, it mounted up to like tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars because they're like, we're all in. We're, we're getting rid of this old life and this old worship of demons and we're going to worship Jesus. And, and Wow. They, they started off big. The, Ephesus is where there was a riot because people's lives were being changed so drastically. They weren't worshiping the idols anymore. And so all the, all the, uh, the, the worksmiths were going, oh, we're losing our occupation here. And, and so there was a riot started because God was changing lives in this city. And then from Ephesus, the Word went out. Ephesians, excuse me, Acts chapter 19 and 20 tells us that the Word of God went out from there and everyone heard God's Word. And so churches were planted in Colossae and Hierapolis and, and all these churches throughout Asia Minor and Ephesus was this hub. Their pastor was the guy named Paul. What an opportunity for that, right? Priscilla and Aquila, if you've heard of them, they were servants in Ephesus. Talk about a church with opportunity. Timothy was one of their pastors. Later on, a guy named John. Anybody ever hear of a guy named John in the Bible? John, the apostle, comes along and he's one of their pastors. And so... Here's this amazing church, and in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus had so much good to say about this church. He commended them for their toil and their patient endurance. He commended them for not bearing with evildoers, for testing false teachers and false apostles who were distorting the gospel. He commended them for not growing weary in the trials that they were experiencing and going through for his namesake. And so there's a lot of things that Jesus says, boy, I'm so proud of you. You're doing so great with this. But then, but then he says to them, but I have this against you. Those are, those are cutting words, aren't they? When they're coming from Jesus Himself. And I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The Ephesians had, had lost the love that they had for Jesus those first days. That heartfelt desire to have this relationship with Him. Cultivating it. Growing in it. Their love had grown cold. And I think that we too often get caught up in everything that we're doing that, that our love grows cold. And, and I, I don't want that. I don't want that for me. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for our church. My prayer for 2022 is that my love for Jesus would grow deep and wide. That I would love Him with the delight of a child that, that runs to the arms of His hero. That, that I would love Him with the simplicity that welcomes the embrace from a friend. That I, that I would love Him with the passion that a zealot has whose life is completely absorbed in this One who died for me and changed my life. And that I would love Him because He first loved me. And that's my prayer for you too. 
As I was considering this love relationship, I pondered over a few passages in the New Testament that speaks of this love. And the first one was Revelation chapter 2 where he talks to this church who was struggling with this. And, and as we begin this new year, I'd like to just remind you of a few things that God tells us about following Jesus. First, let's continue looking at Revelation chapter 2. Look at verse 5 while you've got your finger there. So what was Jesus' solution? He says, I've got this against you, and what I love about what Jesus does in each of these letters, and we've looked at those letters before, so, so we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but, but what I love about these letters is that in each of these letters, Jesus says, look, you're doing great here, kudos to you on that, awesome job, but I've got this against you. And he never says, I give up, you really blew it, you're a loser, Never. I mean, some of these churches were, we would look at them and go, wow, golly, what is going on here? But Jesus never gives up on them and never says, I- I'm done with, with you. Every single time he says, I've got this against you, he, he then gives them advice and says, here's how we're going to fix it. Here's how we're going to work on this. Here's how you're going to grow as a church. And, and he gives the church of Ephesus four th- pieces of advice. He says, remember, number one, number one, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. He uses a present active imperative verb which conveys this idea of something that's repeated. Something that continues on. You keep on remembering. You keep on going with this. It's, it's like um, when, when you get married. Um, Abby's down in Texas right now and she went to a, a wedding yesterday and she's going to another wedding this next week. Exciting days. And, and the, the emotions are high and, and, and people are gazing into one another's eyes and they're lost in those. It, it's wonderful. And, and that, that love that, you've, that you feel in, in those early days and, and then sometimes the years go by and you wake up next to this person and you turn over and you go, ah! I'm, I'm sure Angie does that a lot because I'm really scary in the mornings. And, um, you know, you get used to the other person. And life goes on as normal. And sometimes that happens in our relationship with Christ as well. And, and we need to come to a point where we remember. What was it like when we first met? What was it like when we first got married? What, remember those first days. And Jesus gives similar advice to the church. And He says, you remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. And you keep on remembering. Not just one time and then move on with your life. You keep on remembering those first deeds. Remember what He did for you. Remember the fervor in your relationship. Remember the excitement. Remember those first works that you did when you just had such a love for Him that that you couldn't contain yourself. And then the second thing He tells them is repent. To repent means to change your mind. To turn around. And and so it's, it's recognizing a problem and, and confessing it. That's the first step. First John 1 John 1.9, when we sin, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess means to agree with. When I confess my sin, it's me saying, God, I agree with You that this was wrong. And, and so I'm going to turn and go the other way now. I'm going to do the opposite of this because I love You and I want to obey You. And so... He says, repent, change your mind, turn around, recognize the problem and confess it, and then go to the Word and and seek His counsel as to how to change that. And so remember, repent, and and then He tells them to repeat, do the first works. Do the works you did at first. Act on what you remember and do the things that you used to do to bring back that passion for your Savior. 
But then before he moves on, Jesus tells them about the risk. There's a risk involved to the church of Ephesus. He says, look, if, if you don't do this, if not, if you just kind of let the embers die, I, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And this is the church of Ephesus. This is one of the greatest churches of the first century. And Jesus comes to them and says, look, if you don't, if you don't rekindle this relationship and remember, repent, repeat, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to remove your light. And all around the world, there are many church buildings where people once worshipped with this kind of fervor that Jesus reminds the Ephesians of. And today, those buildings are dark, empty cathedrals. And I don't want that for DEFC. I don't want this to become some YMCA where people come and just play basketball. I want this to be a place where people love Jesus. And we are passionate about our relationship with Him. I don't want a dark, empty cathedral for me or for you or for this church body. I was looking for a reminder of some of the things that God says about loving Jesus. And I was just perusing through different passages. And that's kind of what we're going to do today. Um, we're going we're gonna to go to the Gospel of John now. And as I was looking through John, uh, I just did a simple word search for the phrase in English, love me. And seven times, there's, there's a lot more passages where Jesus talks about love, where He talks about loving God, He talks about loving Christ, talks about loving one another. But seven times He uses this phrase, love me. And, and these seven times He describes what it looks like if you love Jesus. John 8, chapter 42. The first passage comes in the middle of this confrontation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. In chapter 8, verse 42, here's this group of men that were so consumed with, with everything that they were doing in presenting their credentials to God. They had the right training. They had Abraham as their father. They had Moses as a lawgiver. They kept the law. I mean, when they tithed and said, okay, what are we going to give? They, they would go outside and they, they would get down and, and they, would, they would look at the weeds on the sidewalk. Not that they had sidewalks like us. And they'd find... Mint and cumin. Anybody have mint just growing wild at your place? We have some out in our garden that comes up. We covered a lot of it. It keeps on coming back. They would go out and they would find that stuff and they would, they would tithe it. They'd tithe their weeds. They were spices, but, but they grew wild. And so it was something God gave them. And they would tithe their mint and cumin. They, they were so intent on, on fulfilling every aspect of the law and they took great pride in it. All in all, they thought they had a ticket in because, because of everything that they had done for God. They were under the deception that the love of God, that they loved God because of all the righteous deeds they were doing. And they, and they boasted. And they'd go around and they would show everybody how many prayers they'd been doing, how much money they were giving. They boasted that God was their Father. But Jesus comes to them and He calls them out. And He says, if God were your Father, you would love Me. For I came from God and I'm here. And I don't think they liked that if you read through the rest of the passage. But my point is this. Let us not be consumed as, as we consider what it means to love Jesus. First of all, let us not be consumed with our own righteousness, our own accomplishments, our own credentials. And, and we each need to ask ourselves here in this room, if you're here online, perhaps you're just joining us as a guest today, 
each one of us, we have to ask ourselves, do I really love Jesus? Here's a group of guys who thought they had it all together and they thought, I love God. And Jesus comes to them and says, you have no idea. And I need to ask myself, do do I really love Jesus? Do I love God like I think I do? Or is it all about me proving myself to Him and, and showing Him how much I love by all these things that I've done for Him? And as I ask myself, do I really love Him? If the answer echoes back a resounding no, then each one of us needs to search our own hearts and consider what God, consider that God might not be your Father. The reason that you do not hear um, sorry, skip skipped ahead there. Jesus he shakes things up with them and he reminds them. He says, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And, and so if God is not your father, may 2022 be the start of a new life in which you trust first in the work that Jesus did for you because God first loved you. He loved you without you doing anything for Him. And that's where a relationship starts with Him. That's where a relationship starts with Jesus. I I want you to understand that you will never be able, you are incapable, I am incapable of loving Jesus without first being loved by Him and being transformed by His grace. The rest of these passages that we're going to look at and observe are written to those who have received the love of God already. And through faith, those who have believed in Christ's work on the cross, they have received forgiveness of their sins. And God has brought them into a relationship. He's brought them into a relationship with Him. And then out of gratitude for this deep love for us that God loved us with and God gave His Son for us with, we love Him in return then. And so in John 8, he calls out these Pharisees for this false kind of love. He says, you, you don't love Me. You don't love God the Father because if you recognized who I am, you would love Me. The next passage is John 14-15. Here Jesus is speaking to His disciples. He's speaking to people who have been walking with Him, who, who have this passionate love for Him. Who are, who are just, they want to follow Him. They want to be like Him. They, they are excited about ministry, excited about walking with Him, excited about knowing Him. And these are followers who have received His gift of salvation. And He's just told them that He's going to be leaving soon. It's the end of His ministry and, and, and He lets the ball drop and says, guys, I'm, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't follow. And I'm going to send My Spirit to you and one who is like me is going to be with you and he's going to guide you. And he walks them through this process. And they have a lot of questions. This is where Thomas, Thomas asks um, to show us the Father. And, and, and Jesus, and, and they say, well, show us the way. And they're a little confused. And uh, he says, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. And so he's giving them instruction for what it's going to look like to follow him after he leaves. And in John 14, 15, Jesus makes this statement. He says, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Now, now don't misunderstand what He says. He did not say that love is obedience. 
The, the Pharisees got confused on, on that one because they were convinced that they could obey their way to God's favor. That they could get God's love by showing their love. They were convinced that loving God was their obedience. But Jesus makes a distinction here to the disciples and He says, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. You see, the relationship already existed because God loved us first. He saved us by the blood of Christ. And now, because of this deep, profound relationship that I have with Him, my obedience flows out of this desire to, to, to express my gratitude to Him. My obedience and my keeping of, of His commandments flows out of my delight in Him and what He's done for me. And obedience comes naturally because I love Him. And so if I love Him, I will follow His commandments. Obedience comes naturally because I treasure Him more than anything else that this world can offer me. Obedience does not earn God's love. And obedience is not my love, but keeping His commandments flows out of my admiration and my delight to the One who first loved me. But if I love Him, then I will believe Him and, and, and we will love one another as He loved us. Just a few verses before this, He describes a new commandment to love one another. And He said, by this, all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. Now jump forward just a few verses to John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24. In verse 23, Jesus is answering a question that was asked by one of the disciples. Judas, uh, not Judas Iscariot, but the other, probably a guy named Thaddeus. Um, Judas asks Jesus a question and he's, he's puzzled. He's like, okay, so you're talking about manifesting yourself and, and having a relationship with you. He says, Jesus, how's that supposed to work? You just told us that you're going away and the world's not going to see you, but we're going to see you. How, how does that happen? How do I have a relationship with you now, but the world's not going to see you? I mean, I thought you are going to take over the Roman government and you're going to do all great things. And How's all this manifesting stuff happen when you're not actually here and the world can't see you too? And so Jesus answers that question and He's addressing that specifically and He demonstrates to Judas that those who have a relationship with Jesus and whose lives reflect that relationship through keeping His Word in a very real way, will then experience God's love not only on the other side of eternity, but also here in this lifetime. He says, look, my Father and I are going to come and dwell with you. And He says, if anyone loves Me, he will keep My Word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love Me does not keep My words. So again, one of the indicators of a life that, has, that is not in relationship with Jesus is that Walking in step with His commandments is not a priority. It's not a desire of your heart. Obedience does not earn God's love. Keeping God's commandments will never earn a place in God's kingdom. But when you know that you are loved by God and you have responded to Him in faith, then keeping His Word becomes a natural outflow of your love for Him. From your delight in this One who first loved you. And the converse of that is true as well. If you have no desire... If you have no desire to pay attention to His commands, this flows out of a heart that does not love Him. And you do not love Him because you do not know Him. But if you know Him and you've been transformed by His grace, 
then your life will overflow out of thanks and you will walk with Him. And, and the experience of that relationship is profound. Now, I know there's some of us that are saying, well, okay, so this whole obedience thing, you know, I, there, there is in my lives where I struggle. There are times where I go, wow, I, I really messed that up. And, 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 and I, I hope that it breaks your heart when you see that sin in your life. I, I hope that it, that it, it, it causes you to, to grieve over what, what's happened in that re, happening in that relationship with Him. And over in John chapter 21, we come to the last four instances of this phrase that Jesus used, love me. In John chapter 21, uh, Jesus has been crucified. Uh, he has risen from the dead. And, and in that time, uh, between John chapter 14 and the crucifixion, Peter just drops the ball. And, and Jesus told him, he says, Peter, you can deny me three times. And sure enough, Peter did. I mean, not only did he deny it, but he, he denied him with an oath. He, he swore. And, uh, and he grieved over it. He went out and he wept. And, and after the resurrection has taken place, uh, Peter's seen Jesus again. Jesus has appeared to the disciples and he's, he's been teaching them. He's been working with them. And early on in that 40 days in which he, he works with the disciples and calls them back and he, and he prepares them for what's to come in the next few years, um, early in that 40 days, you can just tell that Simon is just he's discouraged. He's struggling. He, he knows what he did. He denied Jesus three times. And in John 21, verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I, I'm going fishing. Now, what does, it, what does it say to you? What was Peter's profession? He, he was a fisherman. I and mean, this is what he did by trade. And I think there's a lot packed in that little phrase. He's talking to the other disciples. And, they, and by the way, they say to him, yeah, we're going with you. And a lot of them were fishermen too. And uh, I think he said, I'm done. I, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I Look at what I did. I, I denied him. I, I, I sit there, a little servant girl came up to me and said, you know Jesus, don't you? Said, I, I don't know who Jesus is. They recognize my accent. And I started getting angry. I swore. I, I, I cussed. I swore an oath. I don't know the man. I, I can't do this anymore. And so I think when he says, I'm going fishing, it's not, I'm going to take a day off. I think it's, I'm, I'm going to go back to everything else I knew before because what I thought was a relationship with Jesus, obviously, he's not going to want me anymore. And so they say, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? There's a couple other times that happened. But just as day was breaking, so, so they're out all night. Nothing. Uh, it's frustrating for me when I don't catch fish. But when, when it's your job and you're a professional at doing this and you catch nothing, uh, that's got to hurt. And so day's breaking and Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. I don't know if it's because he hid his appearance or just caused them not to recognize him or if he's just way off in the distance. But whatever the case, they didn't recognize who he was. And so Jesus says to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. I would like to hear how they said that. Maybe it was a no, get lost. Uh, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now at this point, I think they should probably be recognizing 
Something's going on here because they've been there, done this a couple times. They, they caught no fish. And Jesus says, hey, cast. He said this exact same thing when He first called them uh, and said, come follow Me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, that's uh, John's way of talking about himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, I love this. I just love Peter's passion and, and his... Um, I mean, sometimes he just really stuck his foot in the mouth and he did some stupid things, but oh, the, the, the love that he loved Jesus with and just the way he, just, he, he wore his life on his sleeves. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. What a great way of saying that. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. <laughs> this is great. Guess what they find? Here's Jesus. What else did they, was there? There's fish. They've been, they've been fishing all night long, hadn't caught anything. And they get to the shore, and Jesus already has fish cooking. So breakfast is ready. And, and so... Simon Peter went aboard. They hauled in the net ashore full of large fish, 153. They actually counted the fish. Um, and it was huge. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and He took the bread and He gave it to them. And so with the fish. And this is now the third time that Jesus revealed Himself, revealed to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. I want you to look at verses 15-19. through 19. I know this is a familiar passage for many of you. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love Me more than these? There's a lot of people ask a lot of questions about what did Jesus mean by that? Do you love Me more than these? What is these? These other guys? Uh, do you love me more than these boats? Do you love me more than these problems that you're having in your life? I, I think in the context of the passage, he's saying, look all this fish, Peter. Look at this. Do, do you love me more than these fish? Do, do you love me more than all this? Peter, do you, do you love me? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Now, now, there's a couple words in Greek that you need to understand here. When Jesus asks the question, He says, Peter, do you agape Me? Now, we've, we make some distinctions when we talk about agape love and phileo love. Oftentimes, they're, they're synonyms. You've got to understand that many times in the New Testament, those words are used interchangeably and there's not necessarily a profound meaning by making that distinction. But in this passage, I, I'm, I personally am convinced. Others, others disagree. John makes a distinction between these words. And, and he, he does a, a word shift several times. And, and so I think part of what's going on here is, is, is it's kind of like Jesus saying, Peter, do you like me? Or do you, do, you, do you love me? And Peter answers, says, I like you, God. I like you, Jesus. He uses a different word for love. And so Jesus says, do you agape me? And he says, Lord, you know. You, and you know in your head. You, you know the facts that I phileo you. I, I love you with a brotherly love can't bring himself to say, I, I agape you, which typically is a 
a more unconditional giving of oneself for another person. And, and Peter looks at his own life and says, I, I can't say that I have that kind of love for Jesus. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Peter, I, I want you to feed my lambs. I called you to be a shepherd. You take care of my little lambs and you feed them. In verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Peter, do you love me? Again, he uses that word agape. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know. And the word he uses for know is a word that means you know the facts. You know that I phileo you. I have a brotherly love for you. I have an affectionate, friendly love. I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he changes words. And Jesus says, do you phileo me? He doesn't say agape this time. Do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know it all. And he uses a different word for no. Peter changes words. And the word that he uses this time is a, is a knowledge that comes from experience. The first two times he says, Lord, you know I flail you. you. You you got it up here in your head. You know the facts. One plus one is two. You, you know that. You, you know that I love you. But this time he says, you know, and he uses a word that means to, to know something from personal experience. You know from personal experience, you know everything. There's nothing hidden from you. Lord, you know that I phileo you. I, I have a brotherly love for you. Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And, and I, I think, I think he was, there was a couple things going on. I think part of it was he's thinking in his head still, I denied him three times and Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And I think part of it is the, the third time Jesus changed the word. Um, And still, even though, even though the words have changed and, 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 and Peter can't come to this point where he says, I, I, have, I have an unconditional love for you. I'd die for you. I'd, I'd, I would go to the cross with you. That's what he said a couple nights ago. Didn't happen. He says, in spite of all this, I have an affection for you in spite of Peter not being able to say, I, I have this great kind of love, Jesus still comes to him and says, Peter, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, I used to dress yourself and walk, you used to dress yourself and, and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And so he's telling Peter, look, you may not feel like you have this great agape love for me right now. You may know that I know what you've gone through and how you failed me. We, we know all that, Peter. But no matter how you've failed me, I want you to continue to do what I've called you to do. I want you to go out and feed my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs, lambs tend my sheep. Do what I've called you to do. And I'll work with this filial love you've got for me. I'll work with that. It's okay. 
one day, they're going to crucify you upside down. And you're going to die because of your love for me. For right now, and he concludes with this in verse 19, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Same thing he had told Peter to do when he first called him. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. You tend my sheep. I don't know about you, but there are times when uh, I look at my love for Jesus and I'm a little embarrassed. There are times when I look at my love for Jesus and I, I, I want more. I, I look at my failure. I, I look at how I wasted time doing something else and I ignored Scripture because that movie was more interesting. Or... I just didn't feel like it. There are times uh, I know He wants me to do something and be a part of something and I don't do it. And I look and I go, oh. And like Peter, I know that He knows. But like with Peter, Jesus comes to us and He says, follow me. Even if your love is just the brotherly affection Let's grow in this. So, what did following Jesus mean for Peter? It meant being an apostle. It meant leading the church. It meant a month from this point, he's going to be standing in front of thousands of people leading one of the greatest revivals ever. Thousands come to know Christ in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit comes down. And it's this beautiful, beautiful beginning of the church. And then Peter's going to lead the other disciples. And he's going to fail and stumble at times. And Paul's going to come along and say, what's going on with you, man? And Peter's going to go, okay, yeah, you're right. To me, this up and down relationship of just, he's Peter. But he follows Jesus. And, and he takes care of the church. And he tends the sheep. And he, he pastors the people God's entrusted to his care. What does following Jesus mean for you? What's He called you to do today? For some of you, it's changing. Some of you are moving into retirement and there's this new season of life. Some of you have grandkids and, and kids and, and things are changing. And, and as life changes, there's these new seasons. What does it look like? And it, it, it moves around. But I think you have a good idea of what He wants you to do today. What it means to follow Him. And above anything else, it starts with having a relationship with Him. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, might today be the day that you start 2022 and the rest of your life experiencing eternal life as He wants you to have it. And if you know Him, grow in that walk with Him. Grow in your love for Him. And may 2022 be this year you just fall in love with Jesus all over again. That's my prayer for you my prayer for me. I'm going to do a couple things this year um, to help me focus on that. And I invite you to, to join me with it. First thing I'm going to be doing is I'm going to read, be reading through the Gospels. I know a lot of you have a Bible reading program. Some of you are reading through the Bible in one year. 
Some of you are reading through the Bible three times in a year. Whatever you're doing, New Testament, Old Testament, or maybe the Psalms. Uh, if you're not doing anything, though, and you don't have a plan for what your Bible reading is going to look like, as a starting point, I'd like to invite you to join me in just reading through the Gospels. Just observe who, who was Jesus? What, what did He come to do? Who is this person that I love? And, and, and fall in love with Him all over again as, as we look at who He is and as He's presented in the Gospels themselves. And so starting with this week, I'm going to be reading through the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's, it's a short book. Um, you, you can read through it in a couple hours, a few hours maybe, if, if you're a slow reader. So you can do it in 10 minutes if you're a fast reader. Um, I'm just going to read through the Gospels. I'm probably going to read through them two or three times before I do something different. But I'm going to read through Mark, and then I'll jump over to probably Luke and John and Matthew, and then I'll start over and read through them again. Uh, on the back of your sermon notes, I just gave you some ideas. And so if you're looking for something, um, it's just some ideas for you. Uh, or do what you already plan on doing something else. But if you don't have a plan, um, just a simple plan for each day. And pray. A- ask the Spirit to open your eyes and shed light on the meaning of His Word and help you love Jesus more this day. Read through the passage of the day. Feel free to take notes. Jot things down. Make some observations. Record things you haven't noticed before. And get out your journal. Maybe just a loose piece of paper. And answer three questions. And whether you keep that piece of paper for your great-grandchildren to see one day or you just, it goes in the trash a week later, uh, just write it down. Writing it down helps. It helps solidify it in your mind. Three questions. What did I learn about Jesus? What did I learn about myself? And what do I love about Him that Scripture teaches me here? And then uh, pray again. Ask the Spirit to strengthen you to put into practice the things that He showed you. So, anyway... This is one of the things I'm going to be doing. I'm doing some other things, but, but here's one thing I invite you to join me with, join with me in. Uh, the other thing we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews. Uh, and so starting next week, Lord willing, uh, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews and look at this person that, that is Jesus. And, and that's what Hebrews is all about, is Jesus is better. It's a lot similar to Colossians, which we've looked at before, but Hebrews is going to take some different tracks on that. And... Um, He's better than the angels. He's, he's better than Moses. He's better than the law. He's better than the priesthood. Um, and Hebrews has some very specific challenges for us in our walk with Christ. And so I invite you to study Hebrews with me as we turn to this beautiful book uh, on Sunday mornings as well. Last thing we're going to do is we're going to share in communion today. And, and I, I love doing this. I, I know sometimes... Sometimes people look at communion and they go, what's this all about? And communion, if the men would go ahead and come forward. When we share in communion, you know, the world looks at this and goes, you know, it's just this kind of this ceremony that the church does. But it's much more than that, isn't it? When we share in communion, what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus did for us. We're remembering the, the gift of God's Son who, who came and, and died in our place. It wasn't just some act of an example. I, I was an enemy of God. 
and you were an enemy of God. We were at war with Him. And God loved us so much that He gave His only Son. And His Son came and He died in our place. He took the penalty, the punishment that I deserved. I deserved hell for eternity. And because He loved me so much, Jesus said, I'll take that. All the wrath that Jeff deserves, I will bear that. And so on the cross, the perfect Son of God shed His blood. God's wrath was unleashed on Him. And He took the full penalty of what I deserved. Thus making a way for me to know Him. A way for me and you to have eternal life. To have forgiveness of our sins. To have redemption. And so when we come to this table, we are following His command to remember Him. To remember that His body was broken. That His blood was spilled out. That God's wrath was satisfied. And we gained everything. We do this regularly lest we get used to Jesus. This is one of those ways to remind ourselves of our love for Him. And to remind ourselves of, more than that, His great love for us. If you're here today who aren't a member of Dwitty Free, you're invited to join us. This isn't a closed communion. Uh, all I ask, all we ask is that you would have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Christ and you haven't yet trusted Him for your forgiveness of your sins, um, receive Him instead today. Receive the gift of eternal life that He offers to you this morning. If you're here and there's sin in your life, if you're walking through this life and there's some things you need to make right, I would encourage you as, as the praise team leads us in some music, that you'd go to prayer and just pour your heart out to Him. Confess your sin. And make that relationship right with Him this morning. I've asked Jared if he would uh, offer a prayer of thanks.